a generalization, a general rule of thumb is taking your tube or bottle of color cost and multiplying it by 11. And that's the minimum that your retouch should be. And when I say that in classes, mm -hmm. there's maybe one hand that goes up mm -hmm. when I say, how many of you what does this work for? I think one of the challenges is that, you know, we, we as stylists, as empathetic humans that we are, it's easy for us to give up our boundaries. It's easy for those boundaries to come poor, become porous. You know, we want to do the best for our customers. We're, we're heartfelt people. We want to make you feel good. We want you to look good. And so our boundaries are porous. And then sometimes we, the pendulum swings a little too far over to the other side where it's not that our boundaries are porous, it's that we almost set up arbitrary boundaries just to say, I'm the one in charge here. Yep. And with that comes the, with that comes, we lose the customer service experience. So when we talk about boundaries, Elaine, how do we navigate as a new stylist? How do I set up boundaries that work for me in my life and yet still maintain a customer service experience that makes my clients happy to come. No, I totally agree. It's it's this new cancel generation. Mm -hmm. um, if I had a dollar for every post on social media of someone saying I have to fire my client, mm -hmm. and when I read the you know the background of the story, it's the client was right, you know, and and all the hairdressers get behind the other stylists and say, absolutely, girl, you fire her. You don't need her. You're too good to put up with that, you know. And it's all this like rally behind the stylist being right. And I'm like, when did this happen? I mean, of course there, there is the uh, client that will abuse you and needs to be told to go elsewhere, but there's definitely a huge blurred line in, in that hundred percent. I totally agree. It's funny just because as you were reflecting there, I'm thinking about, you know, doing 30,000 appointments behind my chair in a certain span of time. Um, you know, which I once added up just to kind of for shits and giggles, mm -hmm. maybe firing in that period of time, three clients, it's become a much more common practice and never feeling ever in that amount of time that more than five really needed to be fired. Maybe I missed out on the op, you know, on two that, that shouldn't have been a client for a longer period of time. But if you look at the stats on that, the number, just the sheer numbers, you go, it's a very minimal conversation. And I love the way you said, John, like we make up an arbitrary drawing a line in the sand. It's almost as if, you know, this straw broke the camel's back and now I'm just making up rules out of the air. Right. You know, yeah. as, and as hairdressers, the three of us here, we've all had that experience where clients needed to find a new home, right? Uh, I can remember once upon a time, like you said, Chris, in all the, you know, 35,000 haircuts later, I've actually fired three clients. I actually bought a client a gift certificate to the salon down the street because I just needed her to leave. I, I needed her to leave reasonably happy, but I needed her to leave. And the best way for me to do that was I sent my receptionist down the street and said, go buy a $50 gift card to that salon down the street and bring it back to me. And she's like, why? You'll see later. Now, the client wasn't thrilled, but that wasn't arbitrary. This was a long you know, relationship where I knew I just couldn't make this client happy. And Chris, as you said, 
maybe there was three people out of 35,000 haircuts that I did. Uh, the point I'm making is there are people that need to go away. There are customers that you need to cut that cord because they're n it's not good for you and it's not good for them. But it's that arbitrary nature of I'm just not feeling it today. So I think I'm just going to tell this client to go elsewhere. Uh, Elaine, if we're talking about this, what are some thoughts, maybe some strategy? As a new stylist, how do I know which one is breaking my boundaries and I need to have a conversation with? And what, in your mind, determines it's time for this client to actually leave and find another home? Like, how do you differentiate between one and the other? Well, me now and me when I was a beginning stylist are a big, totally different story because I, growing up, I was never taught that you could put up boundaries. That's not a skill that I was given. My, my mom still doesn't share boundary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She lets people cross her boundaries all the time. So I think a lot of it is your background and your experience from your family life, first and foremost. And then we get into a career where we're in the service industry and, you know, a lot of times we're told we have to smile through things that are disrespectful. So I think there's a difference between someone disrespecting you and someone just asking you for a higher level of service that you're not providing. So some of it is a lesson to be learned and we need to see those nuggets of lessons in there and not mm -hmm. get so defensive and call everything boundaries. You know, an example now of, in my opinion, the boundary mm -hmm. that needs to happen is a lot of solo, um, solo stylists are giving their cell phone number out and they're not setting up the structure of how they want that to be um, done for their clients. They're not giving the system and then they're complaining when it's the boundary is crossed. So for me, I say, if you're going to use your cell phone for your business, have a Google number that's a separate number so that you can shut the boundary down and turn that off when you don't want to be interrupted if you're at a movie with your husband or you're somewhere with your children. So I think that's a big crossing of boundaries. Um, when I look back at all the clients that I went in early for, didn't have lunch for, stayed late for, went in on my day off for, that was on me. You know, I was right. letting those boundaries just not exist basically. So there, there is a big difference for sure. I think when I talk to our younger stylists in our, our salons, the biggest challenge I believe that happens is they don't know how to have that conversation, right? They're afraid. I don't know what words to use. I don't know how to have this conversation. So it's easier to tell the front desk, hey, you fire them. You know, you tell them I'm, I'm not available anymore. If we're thinking out loud and we're thinking of some verbiage or some ways to have that conversation with that client. Do you have any advice or thoughts or maybe phrases that have worked for you really well for a client? Yes, I, I worked with a life coach and the best advice that I ever got was it's never about you. The behavior, the misbehavior of the client 99% of the time is not about you. It's about what they brought into the salon with them from their morning, from the day before, from a fight that they had with their children or their spouse or their boss. So recognizing that was a huge game changer for me. And I was able to then shift the energy of the interaction with the client and basically speak to that. You know, if, if someone came in and 
the water's too cold and my neck hurts and do you have it you know i'm cold can you turn the air down to you know they're they're like bah, 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 and you're like whoa this is not about the salon or me or anything else this is somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed and i'll stop and i'll walk around and i'll get eye level with the client and say is everything okay? Do you need a hug? And it instantly, the shoulders relax, the grumpy face gets unscrunched, but just calling it out and not in a bad way. I mean, that was very kind saying, are you okay? You know, you're, you're really not yourself today. Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, they'll, they'll just let loose with everything that had nothing to do with you. When, if we don't call it out, it's contagious, right? How many times have you been around somebody that has their panties in a bunch and now all of a sudden you're annoyed and then you go into the break room and have lunch and then you, you know, give that to somebody else and then they're in a bad mood. All of a sudden the entire culture of the salon, you can feel that dark, awful energy. And it happened with one person that brought it in with them. So learning about emotional intelligence and having that coaching experience. God, if I could go back and do that at 19 versus I think I did it at 48, something like that. There's something about that 50th birthday that makes you really aware of relationships and emotions and all of the complicated things that, that they bring for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I love everything that's happening right now because we're, we walked into this conversation. It got so good so fast. I want to backtrack for a second to give a little bit of your history and then continue to walk into the conversation because um, you're a former multiple salon owner. You've been in the industry. I'm going to guess since the early nineties, perhaps, or earlier 86. Okay. (laughs) In 86, right. You just look younger than me. Um, You, did everything you were you know you were one of those one-stop shop hairstylists which i would for years and eventually really fell in love with color hair color um and walked down that aisle um towards becoming a hair colorist only you're now you sold uh left your salon in philadelphia you moved to to florida three years ago and started a a non-branded hair color education brand called expert hair color solutions. Am I saying that right? Expert color solutions. Expert no color solutions. Sounds good though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you said you focus now on the business of hair color. And I consider this conversation that we're having um, inside of the business of hair color. I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for uh, how to have tough conversations in business or important conversations. Um, and, you know, when I hear the words like boundaries, I think about upfront agreements. You know, so many of us, as you said, we walk into doing hair without a real plan other than I'm going to get busy. Um, and nowadays it's maybe I'm going to specialize. Um, but your journey was a little longer than that. You still owned a salon for a long time. A lot of our listeners are salon owners. And one question we do like to ask a lot is during your years of salon ownership, Um, What were some kind of foundational lessons that happened along the way that have helped to mold you as an educator, as a, you know, a business mentor for people, a coach, if you will? Uh, What were some lessons that you learned owning a salon that have stayed with you and you try to pass on? Um, I've owned my salon for 33 years and I opened it when I was 22. So my number one lesson 
is don't try to be best friends with your staff. I didn't, I thought that was so cool that I loved my staff. We went out on the weekends together, we traveled together. And then when you have to have the tough conversations that are business related, it gets awkward and then you avoid them. So I did a lot of avoiding and hiding behind, you know, not wanting to be the big bad boss. It, it actually made me feel uncomfortable when they introduced me as their boss, because I want it to be their peer, their equal. I just wanted us to all work together and have fun. Um, and we did, we had a lot of fun, but um, I also was terrible at numbers. I ignored the numbers. And my idea of success was if I could buy the car that I wanted to drive, or if I could go out to dinner on the weekends and not have to look at the price next to the entree. Seriously, that was my idea of financial success. I didn't do profit and loss statements. I didn't do spreadsheets. I still don't. I hate spreadsheets. I'm allergic mm -hmm. to numbers, but I've come really far in knowing that I think the number one mistake that salon owners make is not starting with a handbook. It's so simple, yet it's so avoided. You know, most people open a salon, they do a very loose thing about, you know, dress code, hours, the, the surface stuff, right? But what happens when um, somebody's chronically late? What happens when they're chronically coming in out of dress code? What happens when they have a color go south and a coworker has to fix it? Who gets the credit? Those are the things that keep salon owners up at night, stressed out of their minds, where if they just had that handbook from day one, I started my handbook 17 years into my business when I finally was actually so overwhelmed with all the nitty gritty things that could have been avoided had there been an, uh, a handbook. And when someone was onboarded, I took a longer time getting them into the culture and setting up that handbook and having them read it and sign that they read it. And it did away with so many things. And now fast forward to me now being a hair color educator, one of the most important parts of my membership for colorists in session in lesson one of the library is forms that protect us. I have forms in my library that are corrective color forms so that when a client comes in and their hair has already been compromised and that had nothing to do with us, we are now protected saying, you know, Sally is here today. This is the date. This is her color right now. We take a picture of her existing color. We make a note of the date and that's how she came in. This is the world we live in. We have to be ready to be sued and for them to cancel their credit card thing and fight the bill and all of that because we can't, if we don't take these steps, we can't prove that she came in with that damage. It's the last person that touched their hair gets the blame for the last three years of, of hair history. So I hate that we're here, that we have to be so, you know, forms and all of that, but we do, um, to your point, Chris, you said earlier, you know, you can't just be happy that there's someone in your chair, do their hair and give them the bill that you made up in your head. You have to have that conversation with the client before you touch their hair. Today, you know, this is what I recommend. This is how long it's going to take. And this is the price. Is that okay? And then we have them sign off on that corrective color consultation form that we had that conversation. And not only do we have the conversation, but they signed off on it so that two weeks later, they can't have buyer's remorse and say, oh, my husband hates the new color. Can you fix it? We're not fixing anything. You changed your mind. So it's just that next mm. level of mm. structure right. that I think saves people a lot of headaches. Mm. I love that whole <laughs> process, right? 
I love that line that she just said, like, we're not actually fixing anything. You change you your mind. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, going through that process, which I love and understanding the need for the handbook. I think one of the other things you would said that you would do is you would pay attention to the numbers, right? So I think one of the first things you said is I'd have a handbook. The second thing you said is I'd pay attention to the numbers. What, what about the numbers, right? Because I think one of the challenges is that sometimes stylists feel we're too numbers driven, right? Oh, I'm going to talk to Elaine. She's going to talk to me about numbers again. What does this have to do with me? Why is this important? Obviously it is. Let's talk about what you learned over the years and what about the numbers as stylish and as business owners we should care about. Well, especially relevant now because um, at this point of us trying to recover from COVID, as you know, gloves are triple in price, foil has gone up, color has gone up. So all of our costs have gone up, but we're also very conscious of the consumer and our client that they've been getting hit with loss of income, loss of you know extra spending money, all of that. But my biggest nugget, 100% in the entire 35 years in the industry is color waste, color inventory management, and uh, a formula for pricing of color services. So to this day, you know, October of 2021, I just saw it yesterday in one of the forums, somebody said, I'm opening a salon in a small town. She named the town and she said, anyone else on here in my town, can you tell me what your prices are? I want to, I want to create my prices. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, I, I want to call her on the phone and spend an hour with her because we've all done that, right? In 1989, when I opened my salon, you know, back then it was the phone that was attached to the cord to the wall. There was no cell phone and there was no caller ID. So you would call the three salons that were closest to yours and say, hi, I'd like to make an appointment. You know, how much is your highlight? How much is your touch up? That's how we created our prices. And when I say I didn't understand numbers, it never occurred to me that my rent, my utilities, my overhead has nothing to do with John or Chris or anybody else in my neighborhood. Everybody's situation is completely different. Mm -hmm. And Donald Scolari was teaching at a, um, a hair show and he said, if you're paying over 50% commission right now, you within five years will be out of business. And of course I was paying 50% commission and I was considering raising the commission mm -hmm. for my staff because I didn't understand that instead of raising commission, I needed to raise service prices. I was 22. I had no idea what I was doing. So picking the, the pricing willy-nilly and just pulling it out of thin air was the first mistake and not understanding the price of the tube of color in relation to the service. So he had shared a number, and this was back in 1989. So I'm sure it's even worse now, but the number he pulled out was, disregarding rent, utilities, workman's comp, all of the things that the owner has to pay. Just a generalization, a general rule of thumb is taking your tube or bottle of color cost and multiplying it by 11. And that's the minimum that your retouch should be. And when I say that in classes, mm -hmm. there's maybe one hand that goes up mm -hmm. when I say, how many of you that does this work for? Mm -hmm. And me and the one person were the only ones because I know to do it because of learning that mm -hmm. from Donald, but that, that was more simplified math for me as a person who hates numbers. That makes sense to me um, because really what you're supposed to do is 
you know, really weigh how much color did you use on that service? You know, how many grams or ounces? How much was the cotton? How much was the gloves? How much is the shampoo assistant that you have to pay for that hour? I mean, every single expense should be in that number because you may just find out that you're not making any profit at all. You know, I think the industry average is like eight to 10% profit, something like that. And the stress that a salon owner takes on for 8%. Well, that's you know, of that, that's of the salons that are profiting because it's eight to because it's eight to 10% of salons that are actually profiting anything, you know, for us to talk about. One of the things that, um, you know, you just talked on formula pricing and, you know, that the tube costs this much, you know, 11 times later should be at least your basic retouch price. And I'm sure that since then you've gotten a little bit more sophisticated in what that process looks like. Not really. <laughs> oh no, that still works. Great. It's, well, it does works. work. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if it works, that's awesome. Um, that makes I told you I'm allergic to math, John. I'm not kidding. Well, because the number that I have used for years in simplified conversations was 10. So I, I do like, I like 11 better. I like 11 better. There's a little more, there's a little more in there. But here's what happens. Even with the 11, then people misinterpret and they say, you know, a tube of color right now is a minimum of $8, usually more. So let's just say eight. Right. Um, so $88 is the minimum for a single so process retouch, 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 yeah. not your bond no. builders or anything right. you add, not conditioning treatment, not yeah. the glazing of the mids and ends. And yeah. most importantly, yeah. not the haircut. A lot of people came home from my class and were like, oh, I'm good. You know, I charge $85 for color. And then I look on their menu and it says includes cut and blow dry. Yeah. I'm like, are you really charging $85 for a root retouch? No, you're giving away your haircut for $5. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Uh, you had also mentioned, you know, color management. When you talk about color management, what does that mean for, for people who are listening? Are you talking we, about inventory management or? Both, both. We used to, um, you know, we've had all different systems trying to rein it in and have that inventory work properly. The closest that we got to truly managing it was to create a product in our salon software as if it was a can of hairspray or a bottle of shampoo where we scanned the barcode. And then when we used the color, we scanned it out. When we brought in the color, we scanned it in. But all it took is one order coming in on a busy Friday, somebody putting it away quickly, forgetting to enter into the computer, and then everything was wrong. Right. So about three years ago, we discovered Vish the color measuring um, system, Vish, is hands down the lifesaver. My, my husband, who has nothing to do with the salon part of the salon, he's more the the numbers guy. Right. He was like, "Oh my gosh, if we had that system, you know, 20 years ago, we would have had so much more profit." Because you realize the beauty of Vish. There's there's many color measuring systems, but what Vish takes it to the next level is you measure your waist. And then that goes into the computer. And the next time Sally comes into you, if you use you know, three ounces of color last time and an ounce was wasted, it recalibrates the measurements and tells you exactly what to measure for her root retouch. We have saved thousands upon thousands of dollars in that. And the, the other thing that it does is it talks to your front desk. So if someone is constantly mixing a separate batch and glazing with it and not charging the guest, it shows up on their ticket. 
So they don't have to remember anymore to, to do that add-on. If I, if I added up all the missed opportunities of a busy colorist forgetting to add on to the ticket, I could be retired in Fiji right now. You know, like the amount of times that that has slipped through. And then we, we always felt like we couldn't call the client and say, oh, by the way, we forgot to charge you because that's not good customer service. We just had to eat it. I know that one of the parts of that process is the separation between the labor and the parts and labor is, as it's been brought up, right? You're paying for, I'm making numbers up, you're paying $88 for the color and you're paying uh, $8 for the, for the color itself. $88 for the service, $8 for the color. And that's a different way of thinking for I think many salon owners and for many stylists. When you implemented this system, that were you getting pushback from your staff? The reason I'm asking these questions is for someone else who wants to go down that road and say, hey, you know, this dish system that Elaine talked about, what are some of the things that they get to look for? What are some of the things that, you know, did all the staff say, hey, this is a great idea? You know, how did the customers take it? Um, tell us, walk us through a little bit of that journey. So great question, because there's always that little element of, oh, what now, especially mm -hmm. with me, because I'm always, you know, looking to see what's new, what's, what's good. So of course, initially, I actually was the biggest pushback because it was a lot of tech for me to get used to. And I'd be like, oh, I forgot to reweigh or, oh, what, what's that button again? Um, so like the first week was awful. I'm not going to lie. It was very, you know, we were upside down trying to get used to it. But once we got our first report, what it also does is it, it measures who forgot to remeasure. So initially, to your point, staff probably looked at it as like the man, like they're being watched. Oh mm -hmm. my gosh, they think that we're, you know, doing something wrong. We're being punished. But here's where the life coaching comes in. I knew that that was probably what was going on in their head. So communication can do away with so much of that, you know, backroom bitching that happens. If you communicate with the staff, what we shared with them is we know that we've been running out of color a lot because we're not realizing how unorganized this inventory system is. So to make your life easier, so you never run out of color again, and we don't waste as much color. At the end of this year, if you, if you go all in with me and you take this journey with me, at the end of the year, what we're going to have is a big number of how much we saved in color. And we're gonna put that towards you, either in a physical bonus or in education dollars for you to go to that big thing that you wanna to go to that you may not have the extra uh, money to invest in. So when they saw it as a way for us to stay profitable, for them to stay employed, and that there was something for them at the end, everything changed mm -hmm. and they love it. You know, it's great because you can't, you no longer have banding because you're not, squeezing into a tube, talking to somebody, guessing, oh, it's kind of this many ounces. Like it's literally the, the little arrow will spin as you're squeezing and it will stop you right where you're supposed to stop. You know exactly that the, the developer to color ratio is there and it, it keeps all of your formulas. So you don't have another other system where you're like, where do I put that formula? Did I remember to put that in? It's in there. I mean, it's, it's the best tool that we've ever add it to our business. I didn't mean for this to become a commercial for fish, but I'm very passionate about what it's done for our business. Oh, well, well, you know what? They can send us a check later. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and whether, you know, to your point, whether, and it's, you know, obviously you, you tested this, you know, but we often will shout out fish and salon scale and other, and other, um, any technology that's 
really taking a good look at these old problems and going, okay, there's a solution for that. Let's figure it out. Um, so, you know, and if another salon owner can hear this and try out a new resource, you know, based on a recommendation or, uh, or even look at the pro challenges up front, you know, we were actually just on a consulting call, um, with, uh, one of our, one of our clients and we were talking about, you know, their transition to using something like tippy. Now, again, we don't use it. I'm not promoting it or not promoting it. I'm not doing either. I'm saying that, um, the tipping conversation is a large conversation that's happening now. And, you know, I, I hate that this is coming out of my mouth right now, but like when we, when we were new in the industry in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, cash was still a real thing. It's been 30 years, but 35 years, but it's going, you know, I mean, whether we like it or not, it's going away. You're, you're from Philly. My uh, sister had a salon in Fishtown and my brother has a barbershop there. And I think that area of the country was one of the last cash, you know, places where you could have a business that said cash only on the door. Now, I'm not promoting that. My point is, is um, at this past year, a lot of that has gone away. They went instantaneously from where they accepted cash to where they don't. And the we have to you know, technology companies have to address these new problems. We've got to address the fact that color has been going up now, not as substantially as it feels like it has, you know, it feels like the percentages have gone up per tube in the past few years when they do have an adjustment, but that's always been in the background and we've never taken a look at it probably to go all the way back to your, your first initial thing, because you were 22. It's, it's actually funny. John was 22 when he opened his salon. I was 22 when I opened my salon. You were 22 when, when awesome. you opened your salon. <laughs> yeah. um, and back when we opened salons, these things had not presented themselves yet. Number, the solutions had not presented themselves. The problems had not presented themselves uh, yet um, because cost of doing business was substantially less on a general scale, yeah. right? Exactly. So, um, so those are, I mean, those are hugely helpful little sound bites. Yeah, because no, remember with the, the credit cards, there's an additional fee. Right. So yeah. we didn't raise our uh, rate anything. prices to make up for that, that fee. And then that's another thing that I see a lot on the forums where people are pounding on their chest proud that they're charging the client the fee. I'm like, that is so illegal. You're not allowed to do that. So only hairdressers can make that stop. Right. right. They're just flying by the seat of their pants going, I'm not paying that fee. They're going to pay that fee. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of things that are not on the up and up, even now with the, with the no cash. Now it's, you know, well, I'm not paying that fee. I'm passing that on to, to the guest. Um, so there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of gray areas with 1099s and all of that and booth rental. It's, it's, there's been a lot of change in the industry. I will say that. I don't know whether it's for the better or how it's going to shake up, but it's, it's a lot. Well, I think the challenge is I, I want to, I have a question I want to ask about uh, Michigan, but before I go there, you know, one of the things I think we have a challenge with right now is there's lots of information coming from lots of different people, which is all great, right? We want to be able to get as much education as we can, but some of that information isn't necessarily the best information. For instance, just pass that expense on to your customer. Well, that sounds good, but maybe that's something you can or can't do, right? 
you know what, I'm going to send this, uh, this customer away because they came in late. Well, okay, but there's only so many of those customers in the world, right? Um, and so I think that for many folks, what we see on Instagram, what we see on Facebook, and again, there's lots of great ideas out there. I think the challenge is shifting, shifting through which ones are the good ones, which ones are the nuggets, and which is the stuff that should kind of fall off by the, by the wayside. Um, when I wanted to ask about the Vish piece is that your team embraced it. You've become an advocate. Um, how'd the customers like it? The customers love it because I never thought that it was really fair that someone with super fine above the chin hair that only required an ounce of color should pay the same as someone who has the head of hair of three people, thick, coarse, big, wavy, curly that requires three ounces but we never quite knew how to come up with a pricing schedule, right? Everybody has the menu and says roots this, you know, ends that. And it's a broad thing. So it kind of balanced out where the big heads paid less and the little heads paid too much. So this, the clients love because their total comes out to a really odd amount, you know, it'll be um, 92.50 or something, you know, and they, they kind of go, oh, that's new. And we say, yeah, you know, the, the scale that you saw us using measures um, just the, the extra color that we have to use for you. So we don't have to just pull a, a price out of the sky. We know exactly how much extra color was used and we can manage the uh, pricing that way. And they love it. They really or not do. used. Right. Or not used. Yeah. How yeah. much they saved or, or paid extra. Yeah. Good point. Elaine, one of the other things that we, um, you brought up when we sent you the, um, our Google form for, you know, setting us up for this podcast was you talked about how success was 80% attitude, mm. right? Um, I think exactly what you said is 80% attitude and 20% is skill. Yes. What do you mean by that? So as someone who has trained the entire neighborhood, every salon in my area, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm proud of that because I always say anyone who worked for me if they're not a successful stylist today, it's because they got out of the industry and are doing something else. If they're still in the industry, they have their own salon and they're super successful six-figure earners. So I am proud of that. Of course, back when you're starting out, it hurts every time somebody wants to leave, but th that's right. all different now. Um, so the 80-20 the rule, I learned that from Michael Cole years ago. And I think when I was younger, I didn't quite understand what it meant. But I teach my kids that and it makes such an impact on them. And every, every time they're having an issue with a friendship or a job or college or whatever, I say, goes back to the 80-20. 80% of people just glide by, do the bare minimum, you know, don't go the extra mile, don't really care enough. 20% are really flat out getting it done. So you, in any given time, you're only competing with the 20% if you're, mm -hmm. if you really care. So that makes everything seem more achievable, but the 80 attitude, 20% skill, I have statistics. I said, I was, wasn't a numbers person, so I don't know the exact numbers, but I can tell you from the time that somebody comes in on their first day to work with me, who's going to make it and who isn't going to make it all based on their attitude, their, how they show up in their appearance how they engage with the client. It has nothing to do with how they do a haircut or color service at all. You know, I can train a monkey how to put a retouch on, but I can't train that monkey to have a conversation, to have empathy, to give that customer service, to, to 
recognize social cues and know, you know, when to talk, when not to talk, all of that stuff is all part of personality and attitude and it can't be taught. That's, that's something that, you know, we have to depend on their parents to teach them. I'll never forget one of my staff members, I took her aside and we had to have the talk. And I said, you know, I just want to give you some feedback. And when this happened and she's, you are the first person in my mm -hmm. entire mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. to tell me that I wasn't perfect. And I said, yeah. well, <laughs> maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe you needed to hear it a little sooner. You know, I didn't apologize for giving her that feedback because, you know, a lot of parents depend on teachers or, you know, for me, I grew up Catholic. So a lot of parents depended on the nuns to discipline us and tell us right from wrong. That's parenting. You know, as a parent, and that's something I also learned in life coaching, and it scares the hell out of me. I wish I knew it sooner. By the age of five, we are whole. We are cooked. Imagine when you think back to being a parent. I know for me, I'm a five-year-old. I was to salons, running around like a lunatic, no time, dragging them to the beauty supply, to here, to there, like not sitting with them and saying, this is a circle. Look at this when you do this, you know, and you think they're getting it at school. Mm -hmm. Same thing for stylists. You can't assume when they come into work for you that they have those foundational skills. And it's our job as salon owners to nurture that. But because we have no profitability and we have so many hats we have to wear, we don't have time to do that. So that's why I created this expert color solutions, because I want it to be that person as a life coach, as a salon owner, as a colorist, as a stylist. I wanted to take that burden off of the salon owner and say, send your little darlings to me and let me give them that foundation so that mm -hmm. then they can just walk in your salon and be dressed ready to impress and have the social skills and the, the emotional intelligence to get behind that chair and just do their thing. Uh, you know, you just said so much in there. Uh, I'm not going to rant right now. I might, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm, you act, are. <laughs> I'm also not, I'm also not going to share um, the, the thing that's in my head, but, but I will say this, I have a rule that I live by. Like, like I said, I, I won't share right now. I remember when that rule was formed and it was, I was probably four years old. Mm. Now I'm saying that because if you're listening right now, you probably have something similar going on in your life where you go, I've always been that way. And for me, I go, actually, I wasn't always that way. I remember the day I formed the rule. And I've lived by that rule in its entirety. So it's really interesting. I had heard seven-ish before. So this is my first time hearing five. And it just flashed me back to a moment where I made a very distinctive decision that I, I've like strongly stood by my entire life. So very interesting, uh, good and reflective. I've got a question. I want to form just because you started to um, give us a little peek on um, color solutions, expert color solutions. And I want to... Um, is that Luke Skywalker behind you? And I, <laughs> um, and I want to, um, I want to go, I want to go there for a second for the sake of the listener. I'll edit my, my stuttering right there. 
So tell, tell us about expert color solutions because we're almost an hour into this conversation and we, we haven't really had the chance to talk about it yet. I think if anybody's listening to you right now, they're getting a feel for how well-rounded you are and how you could possibly help them. So tell us about your educational platform. How does it work? How do we get a hold of you? All that stuff. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. So it started out as when I wrote the book, it was the fundamental foundational formulation because that and, for me. And the book is called A Colorful Journey. A Colorful Journey. Yeah. Um, so for me, formulation was so confusing and seemed to be so much information that I was found myself being totally frustrated by it. And once I understood starting with a simple math equation and the chart of remaining pigment contribution, everything clicked for me. And I wanted that click to happen for other people. And that's when I trained people that worked for me. And I grew from, you know, a staff of two to 17 and 1200 square feet, because I got so good at condensing that formulation information. So then when I went to teach, I was like, there's so many people doing technique, right? There's balayage, foliage, air touch, all these different things are technique. But if you know how to place it and don't know how to formulate it, it's not going to turn out properly because it's going to be the wrong color. So my passion is simplifying formulation. But what happened organically, which I'm so thrilled that it has, is I have over 300 members right now in my group. Oh, wow. This started out as I want to take that newborn deer wobbling out of beauty school and say, I'm here for you. This is a soft place to land. Let me help you with what you didn't get enough of in beauty school. I don't have a single person out of beauty school in my membership, not one. Mm, yeah. The, the median amount of experience that ended up with me is 15 to 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. because, and it goes back, John, to that 80-20 thing that I'm saying, they've been had such a great personality and such a great attitude that they've gotten by for 15 years not really understanding how to avoid brassiness, how to, you know, make a beautiful brown that doesn't have a lot of red in it and how to create a cool blonde with no yellow. They've just gotten by. Or the, the, you, or you forget stuff along the way. Like, true. you know, I mean, I think one of the reasons why veteran stylists love foundation so much, cause you go, ah, oh, I true. knew that I just forgot. Absolutely. So yeah, that's what it ended up being. And then I, I never advertised the life coaching piece in it because I didn't really think that I would use it. But then again, that 80, 20, it goes back to fear mindset. Most of what happens wrong behind the chair is the story that's going on in the head of the person doing the color service of I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't really know what I'm doing. And then the fear comes in and then the mistakes start to happen. So I kind of snuck in the life coaching. And if you were to interview any of my um, members, like I just did a, a live on Facebook and a couple of them jumped on and did testimonials. Not a single testimonial was she taught me how to do a great redhead. It was all... I finally raised my prices. I finally went on my own and opened up my own salon. I finally have the confidence that I need it. I finally have boundaries with my clients. So I'm like, okay, that's, I'm, I'm a mentor. I'm, a, I'm an overall mentor to them. I'm not just a color coach. So I like, I like all the accidental happenings. Um, and I love what I do. I, you know, that's all I do right now. Um, so it's, it's a membership. They can reach out to me anytime. There's tons of support and coaching calls and, um, all is, kinds of it, goodies. 
may I ask one more question about it? I'm sorry. And I know John has a question. So my apologies. Is there, is there a technical aspect to it? Meaning are there any application videos, foiling, that sort of thing? Okay. Yeah, there's over, I think there's like 190 lessons now in the library, but the true um, experience, the overall experience comes in the coaching, the live coaching and the, you know, all of that stuff too. Yeah. Fantastic. So how do we get a hold of you there? Um, My website is expertcolorsolutions.com. I also have a Facebook page, Expert Color Solutions. I do coffee chats every Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. on the Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't really have a big following on Instagram. And I also am on YouTube under just my name, Elaine Travis. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Elaine. Um, I got two, two questions I want to ask. One is, you've mentioned life co- coaching more than once. You mentioned it as part of your process, your education process. I'm assuming that somewhere in the past, you came across that for your development, and your, your peace of mind. How did that happen? Tell us about that. Because it sounds like it's had such an impact on your life. You want to share that, right? Absolutely. The biggest shift in my life. And again, we, I mentioned it was right before 50 because you start to really, your kids are getting older and you're kind of like, is this it? Is this what I worked so hard for? Mm -hmm. And I kept having that feeling that there was more for me, but my salon was so successful And I would come home in tears and I would say to my husband, I am the only one that's not happy right now. Mm -hmm. How can I take apart this successful business and walk away when I'm the only one not happy? Like the numbers were there, the profit was there, everybody was happy. I was miserable because I wanted to teach. So the life coaching happened by accident because I wanted to teach so badly. I found an advertisement for a public speaking um, course. And I know you you know Bonnie Bonadeo, right? Yeah, of course. We know Bonnie. So we podcasted with her a while back. And I took her, I took her two-day course a while back. Was it stages? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's where it all happened. So we I did that. And um her partner at the time in stages was Alejandra Christofoli, who ended up being my life coach. So every from the minute I walked into stages, I was alone on that trip and I was nervous because I had never you know, did any public speaking and you know what they say, people fear it more than death. Um, I didn't fear it more than death, but I was nervous. And as soon as Alejandra started talking about your story and how you have to own your story to be a good speaker and all of that, I just had this look on my face the whole time, like Hmm. almost probably constipated looking, you know, it was like a serious, like I was really leaning in, but I was like getting upset. Uh And she kept calling me out in the middle of the class and saying, what's going on for you right now? And I was like, oh, why is she picking on me? Like it was really getting on my nerves. So by the end, she told me that she's a life coach and this is what she does. And did I want a free consultation? I was like, oh, she's just trying to sell me something. So I went home and I did the free call and I'm bawling again. So I was like, this woman is pecking at my soul. Like she is seeing something in me that I don't see. And I need to explore it further. So it was the best decision that I ever made working with her. It was a nine month process, but out of that nine months was walking away from a successful salon, walking away from my hometown I had lived in for 50 years, walking away from friends, everyone into a total unknown, like talk about, you know, taking the leap and and the net will appear. Mm -hmm. I had nothing when I moved here, no job, no, no income, no nothing. 
And it all worked out great because it was my spirit and my soul was like dying to break free of what I had been doing. Mm -hmm. And it was having that coach, the difference between a coach and a therapist, I think every salon owner needs one or the other. (laughs) Maybe both, maybe both, both, but I had done both. And what my experience was with therapy is, oh, and how does that make you feel? Oh, and how does that make you feel? And, And we're out of time. And you're like, okay, well, I didn't get any answers where a coach, you know, when she would ask me a question, I would say, I don't know. And she would say, well, what would you say if you did know? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, she is not going away. She's like, mad. <laughs> so it was that, you know, I think a, a coach will reach their hand down and lift you up and push you to give you a little bit more of tough love where a therapist is very careful not to give you that feedback. Direction. Um, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I liked the, you know, the being called out. I like the tough yeah. love. So yeah. there's, there's yeah. a little bit of a fine line, but it definitely worked for me. So. Well, and we had, we had a conversation a while back with Andrew Carruthers, who has really dived into the coaching. And by the way, um, I loved Alejandra, uh, what, as a, um, uh, just a, her general presence, her, I hate to use the word professionalism because it's such a vanilla word, but just her presence, the way she carried herself, you know, her interest in the people that were, were in uh, her course as well. So I had a great experience with her, have not seen her since. Um, and she's actually coming to my, uh, my member retreat in Clearwater. Oh. We just talked yesterday. So we're oh, going to amazing. We're gonna give them a little touch of, uh, of Alejandro, which is awesome. Nice, nice, nice. Fantastic. Th- therapy is when you've had a real trauma, you know, there, are, there are some places that a coach Absolutely. Uh, we, we coach people and there are just some topics that, you know, we're not qualified to walk down that path. And so, I you know, agree. they are, they are two quite different things. Um, but, but, uh, coaching is, is definitely something that people have experiences with sometimes just somebody holding a mirror up and going, Oh, really? So are you sure you don't have the answer? And then you, you know, the process of you going back and sitting in it, as I like to call it, you know, like you said, you were annoyed, you know, you had the feeling of annoyance with this person that was holding the mirror up to you. And yet you knew it was for your better good. And so you went home, you processed and asked yourself better questions and came up with new answers. And it, it is amazing because you did transform. And I think there's a lot of people that made decisions like that this past couple of years, but are even still maybe sitting in going, what would that next thing be for me? Um, and we do, man, we stay in stuff uh, circling all the way back to the price conversation or the boundaries conversation. Sometimes we stay in stuff so long that we have no choice but to make a rash decision because we let the pain get too big. We didn't reflect with somebody else. We didn't catch it, you know, maybe up front and, um, bounce it with a mentor who's got some wisdom and experience. And so I, I just think that's all good. John, I saw your hand up. I wanted to touch base on the 80-20 piece again, just for a hot minute. One of the things you had brought up and you were talking about is, you know, people who come with that attitude, that was taught by their parents, right? Um, that was something that they brought to the table. That was, that's how they're wired. And it's really hard to give that to people they either come with it or they don't. And you said that one of the things I can tell the successful ones even before they begin, because they have that attitude. My question is for the salon owner or leader who's got a person or two that doesn't have that attitude, that doesn't have that 80% that they're looking for, 
I guess what I want to know is, is there an opportunity to help somebody develop that attitude? Is that maybe where life coaching comes in? Meaning maybe their salon owner or manager, that's maybe not really a role for you, but maybe that is a role for a life coach. Is it a combination of both? Is it a total waste of time to try to change somebody's attitude? I want to kind of get your thoughts about that person that you have that you hired that maybe doesn't bring the attitude to the game that you'd like them to have. What are your opportunities to help them see that and help them grow? So that's a great question. And I, I have a combination answer. Some great. people are simply not coachable. Um, so mm -hmm. I always kept people longer than I should have thinking I, I could change them. That's the, the key word, I changing them. Um, because I didn't have the coaching and I didn't have the emotional intelligence. So I thought if I just keep yelling at them and keep saying, no, you have to do this and, blah, 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 and eventually, and you know what that's like in parenting, it doesn't go real well. No wire hangers. <laughs> it goes back to that. No matter how mean you are, they're not going to be you know, behaving the way that you want. So um, I do think that for some people, you know, my husband always says, you're the kind of person that's that's kind of like a coach. When when they're your coach, you can't stand them. You bitch about them every day. You know, you hate going to practice because you know you're going to get rained out. But then when you win the game, you think the coach is awesome. So mm -hmm. that's been my experience with trying to coach people that aren't looking to be coached. So I think the difference after life coaching is I will say to them, these are the things that I notice that you have room to grow with. Are you open to being coached. And I can tell right away, some of them will say yes, but then their attitude says no. So if they're coachable, absolutely. Um, that can be changed. But most times you see them go from my salon to another salon, to another salon, to another salon, and they keep getting, they keep taking down the culture everywhere they go because the attitude was never shifted. So it's a choice for them. So I don't give up on people really easily. Um, and I learned that from John DeJulius. I remember reaching out to him about an employee and he said, is she coachable? And have you exhausted every opportunity to coach her through it? And I said, yes. He said, well, then it's definitely time to do it. You know, I love that. Thank you for that very much. This has been an awesome podcast. This has been an awesome podcast. Um, I know I'm pulling away a lot, John, what are some of the things that you're pulling away? Uh, a heck of a lot, right? <laughs> I think, uh, first of all, I'm really excited to hear about Elaine's program and yeah. what she has to offer to the community. So thank you for that. Uh, I think that's incredible. I love the conversation about the 80-20 rule and it always kind of shows up all the time. And I love the piece that you put there that in the end, it isn't, if they're coachable, you can help, right? And I think for a lot of salon owners, I always call it the, the loop of hope. I have this great conversation. It's going to be amazing. They fall into the same old bad habits. We have mm -hmm. this great conversation. Everything's going to be amazing. They fall into the same bad habits. And we get stuck in that, that hopeful place that this is the conversation that's going to change everything. And I like how you simplify it. Well, are they coachable or aren't they? You know, because if they are, here's somebody you can help. Um, on a side note, Bish, you can send us a check later for, you know, advertising. Me too. I'm, I'm still waiting for mine. You're waiting for yours too? <laughs> um, but um, to Chris's point, there's a lot of the different um, companies out there providing like services. And it is seeming to be that new technology that Chris said that can help a lot of salon owners add a little more profitability to their company. And I know this is a lot, but I love the boundaries piece too, right? I think that for many new stylists, and we're here because 
we don't know. It's new for us. How do I balance my empathetic heart without making my boundary so porous that nobody ever gets to the point, you know, the Elaine that you did one day, which is everybody else is happy but me. I love what Chris said about the the pain, because for me, it started to be the pain of staying where I was, was greater than the pain of the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. That was the magic button that got turned on. I was like, I am so unhappy. I can't stand myself. I I wanted to leave rooms that I was in. And I was like, I can't get away from myself. I am everywhere I am. And that's what happens, you know? You know what? I'm going to make that an Instagram post later. (laughs) I'm everywhere I am. I'm I'm everywhere I am. I'm like, go away. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to buy the t-shirt. Um, (laughs) Elaine, knowing uh, that we've got everybody on the podcast from 18 to 80 and knowing that we came into this podcast and sort of just started in the conversation, we didn't really prep that hard for it. I think it was a beautiful conversation, but anything you feel like we're leaving on the table or some words you want to leave our listeners with? My favorite new word is asshole. So don't be an asshole. You know, if you're asking for advice, take the advice. You know, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and said, you know, this is my client. This is what happened. What do I do? And I say, step one, step two, step three. And then they send me the after and it's a mess. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have to turn in my my educator hat because I suck. And I'm like, what happened? And they're like, well, I didn't do what you said. I did this. And I'm like, well, then why did you ask me? You know, the point of having a coach is to try something new. So again, it goes back to the coachability. If you're going to sign up for my course, and you're going to keep doing what you've always done, you're wasting your money. But if you sign up and you trust the process, I always say, start with something little that I share with you. And, and I'll say, do it in the back of the head in the NEEP. The client won't know any different. You'll be stepping out of your comfort zone. You'll be able to see it when you're blowing dry the hair. Take baby steps, but do something. Don't be an asshole.